All right, I know I've been away for a little while. You can always tell when it's cold down here in the office. But I haven't been here in a while. And it's, by the way, it's something like 85 degrees outside. I'm not sure how it gets cold in here. Welcome to a new episode of The National Pulse. I'm trying to bring in this clip from Jen Psaki real quick that I want you guys to hear. Let me see if I can do it here. Giuliani, there are those out there who will suspect the timing of this. It's being done under this administration, done under Merrick Garland as attorney general. Uh, they might accuse this administration of uh, political targeting. Well, first, I can assure you that uh, what is new or may feel different in this administration is that the Justice Department is independent. Uh, the president uh, made that clear when he uh, announced the nomination of Merrick Garland. And the attorney general made clear in his hearing that he would not have taken the job unless he could operate in an independent manner. Uh, so people should know that. And I assure you, our focus here is on the uh, joint address tonight on announcing the American Families Plan and certainly not on Rudy Giuliani. This is the news, of course, that Rudy Giuliani had his offices raided, a search warrant executed. You know, all the Southern District stuff all over again. But this is signal. This is really important. There's not a lot that Bannon and I disagree on, ladies and gentlemen, but this is one of them. And, you know, mine is I am convinced that the Ukraine stuff is not a sideshow to a sideshow. And we'll get into it. All of this wraps up into the, just the same techniques, the same uh, you know kind of extortionist mindset that that, that pervades in Washington D.C. right now. As the news comes out this afternoon, the news obviously you and I, member of the audience, we have known for so very long this great grand cover up by Andrew Cuomo and his office of the death numbers in New York that he was murdering people. He was there's no other way to put it. He was murdering people at the height of the coronavirus pandemic last year we all knew it we all called it out and finally it's april the 28th the year of our lord 2021 and the new york times is starting to report on it today it all it or you can tell by the way when i've just been (laughs) when i've just been to the gym the blood is flowing ladies and gentlemen and not least because of um 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 Yes, that's right. Jen Psaki on television a moment ago saying, listen, you know, uh, the DOJ is completely independent and that may be something that's quite new. (laughs) Listen, these are the same morons that were laughing from both sides of their face when Bill Barr publicly disagreed with President Trump, yet they have the audacity to go on television and claim that the DOJ didn't have independence over the last four years, despite them using Barr himself as a cudgel against the president. Okay? Can we be clear about that, Ms. Zaki? And she... I'm so... You are lucky, okay? You are lucky, ladies and gentlemen, that you don't have to look at the face, right? And I'm not being, I'm not being derogatory or, or misogynistic. I'm saying what she's doing is she's sneering at the camera when she's saying this. She knows she's lying. She knows you know she's lying. And she knows you can't do anything about it, right? She is sneering down lens and saying, oh, of course, you know, this investigation into Mr. Giuliani is completely independent. Yeah, except that it's obviously not. It's obviously incredibly well-timed, and it goes to the heart of one of the single most important parts of the entire Biden corruption uh, uh, story arc, right? Which is Ukraine. Why are they so interested in Ukraine? Why do they keep coming back to Ukraine? Why do they keep prosecuting things around Ukraine? I mean, are we really to genuinely believe 
that Joe Biden just has a real hard-on for Vladimir Putin? Or is something else going on there? Or is something wildly geopolitically uh, complex being used and abused by the Biden crime syndicate, because that's what it is, in order to enrich themselves? It was only two weeks ago that we dropped the story where Mike McCormick, the former White House stenographer, went back through his notes, went through the hard drive from hell with us here at the National Pulse, and went, oh my goodness, I can finally place Joe Biden, uh, Hunter Biden in the West Wing with Joe Biden right before the Burisma deal was signed. And everybody, nobody else has re- reported that yet. Nobody else was able to report that. They were, people would intimate it. People would say, okay, you know, that may have happened. Nobody could prove it. We proved it. And not a single other DC reporter has picked up on that factual evidence that we dropped a couple of weeks ago. It's extraordinary. And now, now the knife is being twisted on the whole Ukraine stuff again. It's all there. It's all there. There is, there is mountains and mountains of signal right there. And I need you to understand that because we're going to hear so many fibs and falsehoods over the coming weeks. Oh, Giuliani did, you know, he took a briefing from this guy and he lobbied for this guy. Literally, literally what Hunter Biden was paid millions of dollars to do for daddy. 10% to the big guy. And by the way, again, you're welcome. I'm doing this for you. (laughs) I am reading or rather listening to Hunter Biden's Beautiful Things memoir that sold sold less than my first book, No Go Zones, by the way. Uh, The people in D.C. who Hunter Biden went to parties with, the people who suck up to his family, the people who went to the boardwalk Biden bash over at the Naval Observatory three times, he had those parties there. Joe Biden had those parties there. Even those people couldn't be bothered to buy the book and give it a go. That's how much they dislike the guy, okay? He's eminently dislikable, and he comes across of that in the in the book. I, I have to tell you, there is there is there is merit to us from a reporting perspective in in reading this or listening to this as I'm doing right now. Not right now, doing a podcast right now. Um, but and, and we will have plenty of reporting to come off the back of it. It's 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 a treasure trove if, if you know what you're looking for. Hunter Biden always slips up. He always lives, leaves a little Parmesan trail that we can follow. And I've got some reporting to come out of this. Chris Hines, pay attention to that name. Chris Hines, stepson of John Kerry. You want, you want, to, know, you want to know why Biden cannot fire John Kerry on the back of this leaked audio that came out that showed that basically John Kerry was advising the Iranian regime Right? Why could Joe Biden not fire him? Because Chris Hines, John Kerry's stepson, knows where the bodies are buried in the Biden crime syndicate. Because guess what? He was one of Hunter Biden's critical business partners. And Hunter Biden admits it in the book. That's where you connect the dots. That's why, despite my better instincts of not wanting to go through this thing, I finally sucked it up and I'm going through it. So we'll bring you plenty of reporting out of that and linking the dots for you. I want to bring in now somebody else who's been linking some massive, massive, massive dots uh, to do with the Matt Gates. I would say story, but it doesn't look like any any big story has really come out of this thing, at least not from the establishment media's perspective. It looks like actually a bigger story is going to be coming out to the contrary. My guest is Arthur Bloom. He is one of the senior reporters over there at the American Conservative, the AmericanConservative.com, editor of the American Conservative Online. He's just a fantastic, fantastic um, 
investigative reporter. Arthur, thank you so much for joining us here today. Hey, glad to be here. I'm sorry about my long introduction. After I Honestly, I'll do some pull-ups at the gym and then the blood just gets pumping and I can't stop talking. Although you've known me for years, you know that that to be the case anyway. Um, Arthur, you've got this You've got this exceptional story up at the moment at theamericanconservative.com. The Gates scandal isn't about Matt Gates. How so? Yeah, so um, the, there are basically two uh, big things that I've kind of contributed to this story over the last couple of weeks. And the piece that I wrote for today is sort of, um, it has one of those two pieces, but it's also kind of just telling the background and kind of piecing together that the, uh, the parts of the story that have only come out in fragments uh, from the mainstream media. The first thing that we reported uh, was, was about the, these texts from an employee of the Israeli consulate that seem to have advanced knowledge of the DOJ investigation. And then the second piece that's significant to the story today uh, is that I was told by a senior uh, Trump administration official that Bob Kent, who's the man who Matt Gates accuses of extorting his family, mm. uh, was a State Department contractor and that he had been approved for a $75,000 payment from the State Department. Now, there are a lot of implications to that. I could go into them, but I'll, I'll leave it there for now. <laughs> well, I mean, I hope you, no, 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 wait, I really need you to go into them because that is an explosive bit of information that, that, you know, so we heard a couple of weeks ago from Charlie Chester and the CNN types, the leaked audio that came out of Project Veritas, that, hey, you know, they were targeting Matt Gates because it helps the Democrats. Fine. Okay, we get that. We all kind of suspected it all along. But, you know, between Paula Reed's pseudo reporting and Gabby Orr having to correct her stories multiple times over at CNN, that's abundantly clear and and i'm glad we got that on the record and a credit to james o'keefe and the project veritas guys for getting that done now what you're saying to us is that hey it's not just a partisan thing that's going on here but actually a a branch of the u.s government had agreed to pay one of the people bob kent now we've talked about bob kent on this podcast before i did a i did a whole teardown of his his bizarre interview uh with uh with chris cuomo Uh, this man he goes on television and he says i lost four men trying to get (laughs) <laughs> this guy out of out of Iran, whether he's you, you and I have discussed this before, whether he's on the island or somewhere else or whatever it is, right? I lost four men. Cuomo doesn't bat an eyelid, presumably because his brother's lost thousands and thousands of people in New York over the past year. Losing four men doesn't seem like a huge deal, maybe to Chris Cuomo. But this guy goes on television and he effectively accepts that he has been at least at least extorting a, a sitting U.S. congressman from the position of the U.S. congressman. He, he said in that interview, by the way. Yeah, oh, go ahead, go ahead. Th- that's right. Uh, the, the thing that's kind of interesting about the Chris Cuomo interview is, you know, it, it, it's important to be clear, much of what Bob Kent is talking about that he uh, either had done in the past or was planning to do um, it would be illegal without the blessing of the U.S. government. It's like you and I got together a commando team and uh, decided we were going to go spring somebody out of an Iranian prison. Uh, that would be illegal, right? right. And uh, it, it would be... Uh, so I, I, the, the thing that's kind of been hanging in the background here is Bob Kent, just by virtue of kind of the confidence that you'd have to have to go on Chris Cuomo's show and just talk about all of this, he, he probably... Uh, believes that he had at least the implicit blessing of the U.S. government. And what this senior Trump administration official told me uh, indicates that it may be more than just the implicit blessing. It may be the explicit blessing, including, you know, money. Um, 
And so there's uh, there are kind of a couple of other aspects of this that are worth unpacking. I mean, Gates has used the word extortion. Uh, now, the thing th- that word has a has a specific meaning. Mm. If the um, if the Bob Kent piece, if the ask for the twenty five million dollars, um, and the you know we're, this is going to reflect well on your legal troubles and it may get you out of them. That is not in and of itself extortion. Mm. It's taking advantage of somebody. It may be seedy. Uh, it may look bad. It, it may be, you know, untoward behavior, but it's not extortion. Mm. It, uh, it is extortion, however, if uh, this whole piece related to Greenberg. So, so up till now, there are two pieces of this whole story, right? Mm. There's the Bob Levinson stuff. And uh, and then there's the Joel Greenberg indictments down in Florida. Joel Greenberg is the friend of Matt Gates, who uh, seems to uh, be a bad guy. He was, uh, you know, forging IDs. Um, he was the one who uh, seems to have been procuring women for some of these outings. Mm. Uh, and he's now been indicted on several things. And, and if the more you look at um, at Greenberg. I mean, the, just based on the reporting that's come out in Politico about the Gates scandal, there are a lot of things that kind of point to the possibility that this guy was sort of gathering blackmail, compromising information or something like that on people. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I'll, I'll say why. Um, so the uh, two unnamed sources that, uh, uh, that were close to Gates have said that either Greenberg or, uh, or the woman he was paying uh, we're trying to incriminate them. So this is a suspicion that's out there that's, a, that's kind of separate from just Gates himself. And second, the, the woman who was initially reported to be a 17-year-old, who turns out not to have been a 17-year-old, uh, her uh, legal bills have been paid by Greenberg. Yeah. That, that was wow. reported in Politico. So um, it, the picture that emerges there is, uh, you know, Greenberg has, has procured this woman who can be plausibly portrayed as a minor. Uh, and then after this all happens, he kind of pays her legal bills. That looks like a sort of entrapment scheme, right? Mm-hmm. And uh, so up until now, we've sort of treated that Greenberg stuff and the Bob Kent stuff as separate. Right. In order for it to be truly extortion, they have to be connected, mm-hmm. right? E- extortion is not you're in a jam. And I'm going to kind of try to take advantage of you to, to and and pretend I'm going to get out of, get you out of that jam. That's not that's not extortion. Extortion is getting something on you and then making you do something. Right. Uh, so if these two things are connected, then it actually can be, I think, plausibly construed as extortion. Right. The uh, now here I'll, I'll go into a little bit uh, about why I think that's not an unreasonable thing to wonder. Um, the, the, the first reason, I think, is that um, the, just the timing of the New York Times story that initially uh, broke this about, about the DOJ investigation, uh, that came out in a way that seems like it was designed to scuttle the meeting between Don Gates and Stephen Alford, uh, the, the meeting at which Don Gates was supposed to be wearing a wire. Right. So uh, there, there's a big story about the Greenberg investigation that is by timing uh, seems to be connected to this Bob Gates or uh, Bob Kent stuff. Um, and then there's these messages that we publish uh, that, that indicate, um, you know, Bob Kent's close friend at the Israeli consulate 
had advanced knowledge of it. And then third, in Bob Kent's own letter to Don Gates, he mentions this whole Greenberg situation. So it's all circumstantial, but uh, it does, you know, point to the idea that these two things might be connected. Uh, so this is kind of my theory. And um, one thing that I, I think Gates, um, it's a little bit perplexing to me about Gates's um, response to some of this. Mm. Um, if, if Greenberg um, is doing what the reporting seems to suggest he was doing, which is obtaining compromising information on, pe- on people, mm. I mean, I, I think you can just piece together that assumption from what's already out there. And then you combine that with the fact that Greenberg's lawyer has pointed the finger at Gates. <laughs> the, the, uh, the big narrative from, from the media about a week or two ago, um, when uh, Greenberg's lawyer went out of the courtroom and said, right. you know, uh, if I were Matt uh, Gates, I'd be feeling very uncomfortable right now. He's going to be shaken in his boots. Right. Uh, yeah, that kind of thing. And there were a couple of other stories that, that, that suggested he had flipped. Now, um, I, I don't, doubt at all that, that Greenberg is singing like a canary to the Fed. Uh, the question is whether there are people other than Gates he may be flipping on. That, that ultimately is the more interesting question to me. Um, but still, uh, given that I, I think you can reasonably infer at this point that Greenberg was obtaining compromising information on people, you would think, um, given, uh, I mean, I, I think Gates probably does not, cannot have the confidence that the Department of Justice is kind of going to um, go out of its way to vindicate him. Mm. Um, <laughs> so Gates pro- probably has to um, kind of tell his story a little bit more aggressively, I guess that's what I'm saying. Yeah. Uh, and b- because you can piece together what Greenberg was doing just from the public reporting, I mean, I, I think Gates could probably point the finger right back at it and say, it sure looks like you were trying to blackmail me. Mm. Uh, and, and so that, that's, that's the piece there. And then the, the last thing I, I kind of wanted to get into in this story is just how kind of uh, odd this Levinson rescue effort was. Yeah, it, so, uh, so, so it, look, because we, look, we've covered, we've covered a lot of detail here, um, Arthur, and I just want to just recap a little bit for the audience here. Sure. This piece is called The Gates Scandal Isn't About Matt Gates. It's written by Arthur Bloom, our guest right now. It's up on theamericanconservative.com. I implore everybody to go and read it and share it. It's, it's, it's incredibly well-written and well-sourced. Um, so, so let's just reset there a little bit because I had, before, before all of this started happening, and, you know, as you said, the New York Times piece, I had never heard of Levinson. I did not know that any of this was going on, and I imagine a lot of people feel the same way. But you've kind of, you've, just correct me if I'm wrong, you've been, you've been sort of, you've had an eye on this for a while, right? Well, I, I, when the Treasury Department issued sanctions on two, uh, Two Iranians related to the Levinson case in December. Mm. I noticed it, mm. but uh, the Trump administration was uh, pretty hawkish on Iran, yeah. and uh, I just assumed it was kind of part of that. And it wasn't until um, the Gates scandal broke that I kind of started looking at uh, exactly how this Levinson lobbying effort had been uh, going on within the administration, and uh, it had been going on for years. And, and what's interesting is different federal bureaucracies seem to have had um, different opinions about some of it. Um, and what I say in the piece is, uh, you know, Levinson has been a very, very high profile case uh, by multiple administrations, Obama and Trump. Mm-hmm. Uh, Obama actually brought up 
the Levinson case with the Iranian president, Hassan Rouhani. And then um, Levinson was not included in a prisoner exchange in 2016. Now, um, even uh, both right and left officials, uh, they, nobody has really publicly, no, no politician has actually said Levinson is in Iran. Uh, that, that's one of the murky things. I, I mean, we, we probably don't want to go into all of the background about Levinson because there's a lot and a lot of it's very murky. Mm. Um, but suffice it to say that, uh, that, that the, there, there is no uh, major politician who has actually said that Levinson is in Iran. All of the official statements from Marco Rubio to Hillary Clinton, um, they, they've said he's being held somewhere in Southwest Asia. And, uh, you know, if, if Obama is bringing up his case with the Iranian president, you know, I, say what you will about Obama being a bad president or a bad guy and all of that. Mm. Uh, you don't you don't make an allegation like that um, and then accept it and not have him included in the prisoner exchange unless you're reasonably satisfied by the, by the information. Right. And um, so the people that have said uh, were kind of lobbying for Levinson's case in the Trump administration have basically said, um, that, that the Obama administration didn't care about him. They're, they were happy to leave him to die in an Iranian prison. Um, but but I guess I, I, I have a hard time believing that. Now, fast forward uh, a little bit. It, it, it's just hard to square that idea with the fact that Obama would bring it up with the Iranian president, right? right. Um, now, now, moving forward a little bit into the Trump years, uh, there's what's so perplexing about it to me is that the pressure over the Levinson case actually rises uh, as as we start to find or as you know more people start to concede that he's probably dead uh, the uh, for instance so it, the family of Bob Levinson they've been very active in lobbying for his cause for years um, this March of last year they were told by the FBI that he's dead and it, it, they, they accepted it they, they gave statements to the media yeah he's dead right. uh, all of that. And uh, but it wasn't until after that. So after that, the action actually increases, which is really odd. Uh, th- there are a number of podcasts about him. Uh, and that's when Bob Kent really seems to get, in, uh, you know, mm. get really interested and like start speaking publicly about it. Um, and then uh, it isn't until April of the next year uh, when the company uh, is incorporated that uh, by Stephen Alford, who was the guy that was supposed to meet with Don Gates when Don Gates was wearing a wire. That meeting didn't happen because of the, the story that came out in the New York Times. Mm-hmm. Now, uh, Stephen Alford's consulting firm, the guy who was supposed to meet with Gates, Alford in the first place is a convicted felon. He's like a scam artist. Right. Um, but the, uh, his consulting firm was incorporated by the Levinson family's attorney, this guy, David McGee, who, who Gates himself has talked about, said he's part of this. Uh, efforts to extort me and all that. Um, but uh, whatever one might think about that, it, it, it's really quite odd that Levinson's family attorney uh, would incorporate uh, a company that's working on the Levinson case after the family has conceded that he's dead, right? It, it, it's sort of hard to think that this is a good faith effort to rescue him uh, if the family has kind of given up. Uh and and that's one of the that's one of the many things the things that's strange about this. One of the others is that Bob Kent was working on this going back to 2018, and um, he was uh, he was talking to the State Department, um, may have been paid by the State Department. 
the amount of money as of 2018 that he needed to make this rescue happen was $250,000, right. a quarter million. Yeah. Uh, within three years, the ask to the Gates family is 100 times that. Yep. It's $25 million. What, was, what accounts for the difference there? Well, why, uh, why did they need uh, 24 and three quarters more million dollars for the rescue effort three years later? Um, well, it, it, it's hard to see that there's any kind of above-board explanation for that. Well, and and one would perhaps jump to the not not you know ludicrous conclusion that actually you know when these things happen, there's 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 quite a lot of profit on the top of of, of these things, and and of course the questions must be asked: where is that profit held, and and what is it used for in the in the longer term? But I just want to you know reiterate something because some of the numbers you're talking about, yeah, the, the, it bears thinking about, Arthur. It bears thinking about you know that back in 2012 they were offering million dollar rewards for information. Um, you know, by 2015, they were offering $5 million rewards for information. By 2019, they were offering $20 million rewards for information. And then six months after that, I mean, after the, 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 the State Department's uh, Rewards for Justice program offers $20 million, just six, less than six months, or five months after that, they declare him dead, right? The U.S. government goes, he's dead. Uh, the family says he's dead. And then, as you say, all of this other work starts, starts piling up on the back end of that to, to, to get him back, to get a dead man back. And, That's right. and the, uh, the, the $20 million reward is, is unheard of. I mean, it's unprecedented. Completely unheard of. And uh, the, the other thing here that's sort of interesting is Bob Kent, uh, and then there's one other source. I mean, uh, there were people feeding information to the U.S. government related to the to the Levinson case mm. that the State Department regarded as credible, but the FBI did not. Uh, Kent is one of them. The other one is a guy named Walton Martin. And uh, according to the writing by uh, the reporting by Jeff Stein in the Daily Beast, um, the he got a look at some of the documents that that Kent had obtained. And uh, they they didn't seem credible to him. Uh, he's uh, which he, the the I'll quote from it. Upon expert ex- ex- examination, turned out to be a mix of clumsy fabrications and authentic papers of unconfirmed provenance. And then this other guy, Walton Martin, the FBI didn't treat him as credible, but he was still passing these reports directly to John Bolton and Mike Pompeo. So uh, the the thing that I really wonder about this part of the story is who were Walton Martin, who's just this, this researcher in the Philadelphia suburbs. Um, and then Kent, I mean, does Kent really have a source of, uh, a, a, a network of sources in Iran? I, 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 I kind of doubt that at this point, to be perfectly honest. <laughs> okay. I mean, hang on, hang on. Arthur. You kind of doubt it at this point. I mean, this, this guy, he couldn't, Go back. I want everybody to go back and watch that Chris Cuomo interview again because he's asked basic questions, like really easy softball questions, right? Because he's on there to do a job. Somebody's put him up to it, and CNN's agreed to do it, and he's asked really basic questions. And there are like silences. There's dead air for significant parts of that interview while he tries to formulate, you know, this kind of empathetic response that he's trying to give. The fact that he didn't have all of those things to hand, the fact that he didn't have answers ready to go, I mean, it speaks to it speaks to just this this kind of total total like the lack of preparedness because he didn't want to be the story right this was always yeah, about I, something I, I else think when you think about it guys like bob kent and walton martin the sources of the bad information 
uh, they're probably cut out for somebody. Right. Now, the, the, the question of who, uh, I, I don't know. I mean, that's the sort of thing we're not going to find out unless there's like an intelligence investigation into this. Right. Um, but uh, I, I think um, if there's uh, fake information being fed to Mike Pompeo's State Department directly, it looks like, uh, from these guys circumventing the suspicions of the FBI mm. uh, that build the case for more aggressive action with with respect to Iran. Um, this this actually, you know, kind of reminds you a little bit of the old school neocons, right? Uh, and, and Bolton was one of the ones receiving this information. It's a little bit like the situation with uh, the yellow cake forgeries uh, in the run-up to the Iraq War mm. about how this basically bad information made it all the way to the White House. Um, and, and so I, I think there's probably something similar going on here. It, it, it speaks to, among other things, I mean, we, I think we definitely need answers from Mike Pompeo about all of this stuff. Why was he treating this information as credible when the FBI wasn't? And then also the picture that emerges, if Kent is a State Department contractor, I mean, Gates is one of the people that, you know, if, if he's not considering running in 2024, he's certainly one of the people vying for the mantle of the post-Trump GOP. Right. And, and so in that sense, he's, he's a rival of Pompeo. And, and so uh, you have one 2024 contender going after a possible, you know, guy claiming Trump's mantle. There's sort of a r- rivalrousness here um, that's, that's really very ugly. It's amazing. It's amazing work, um, Arthur. What, what else? What else should we know about this? Or is that? Uh, or, or do you think? You know, I'm, I'm trying to. I'm trying to push some traffic your way as well. I want people to go and read it, not just listen to this podcast. Not that you guys de- need my my traffic. You're doing a great job over there at the American Conservative. But is there anything else that you want to leave us with uh, on this story? Well, uh, I, I think as with a lot of things like this, uh, one of the reasons I've been, you know, uh, I say in the piece uh, uh, that, that Gates should kind of get out there a little bit more yeah. uh, is because the uh, one of the things that's most sort of shameful about the Republican Party in its current form is their total unwillingness to look into some of these, you know, uh, th- this kind of duplicity and skullduggery in the intelligence community, uh, Justice Department and State Department, the, the kind of uh, when they, uh, you know, they overlook some really bad stuff because they also support aggressive uh, measures against Iran, uh, that that at the end of the day isn't very principled. Um, and so, I, what I'd like to see, honestly, is hearings about that. I, I'd like to see, frankly, Pompeo testify. Uh, but but is there uh, is there any Republican senator who'd actually go there? No, I kind of doubt it. So um, I I think. The, the best thing that conservatives can do right now is sort of uh, basically state very firmly that we don't buy any of this crap. Mm. <laughs> uh, and that's probably the one thing, because uh, that's the one thing that's going to, you know, keep the Justice Department's nose to the grindstone, is if they try to, uh, I, I, you know, I, at, at the end of the day, I don't think Gates is going to be indicted. Mm. Um, but uh, they, there are other ways they could kind of try to uh, let out the steam uh, of this scandal uh, rather than kind of getting to the bottom of it. And uh, the, so the louder, the louder you are uh, at, at the moment, probably the, the, the less likely it is for that to happen. Um, anyway, last thing I say, I have to plug our podcast because I'm Please. on a podcast. Uh, Tack right now. I do it with Ryan Gerdusky and Helen Andrews. So uh, subscribe to that in addition to this one. 
That's TAC, T-A-C, right now. You can find it at theamericanconservative.com. Uh, Arthur, where can people follow you specifically? Yeah, it's uh, at J underscore Arthur underscore Bloom on Twitter. All right, and we'll have a link up in the podcast uh, description on the show today. Arthur, thank you so much for joining us here today on the National Pulse. Glad to do it. Take care. Wow. Amazing, amazing, amazing revelations coming forth about all of this right now. Don't worry, we're not at the end just yet. I'm just playing the uh, transition music. The transition from our interview with J. Arthur Bloom to our conversation, you and I. Well, me. Our conversation, you and I. All right, anyway, look, there's, there's, there's a reason. Um, I just wanted to be upfront with you for a second about, uh, I know a lot of you look forward to the podcast and I, I can't get to it every day. And I know at this point it's been several days since the last one. And I just wanted to be upfront with you about, about a lot of, a lot of why I'm not doing a daily one at the moment. You know, I, I don't believe in just talking to you for the sake of talking to you. I don't believe in coming on here every day and just covering, you know, the general news cycle. I'm not good at it for a start. You know, I, I I do not feel passionate about sort of daily churn news stories that we're all supposed to get really hit up about. And oh my goodness, I just, I don't do that. I, I, I this is going to sound really um, uh, <laughs> arrogant here. I don't mean it to. Um, I just like to think about stories a little longer and think about narratives and trajectories and investigation lines of inquiry and things like that. And you see, you know, you talk to somebody like Arthur Bloom and you probably as well as me got lost there, right? D during a lot of that interview because he's so deep in the detail of this case. And that's kind of what I like to do as well. I, I get my little, uh, my little writing tablet. Uh, I, I start sketching things out, ideas, avenues of inquiry and, and, you know, sort of scientifically, uh, not scientism, scientifically go through and, and, you know, eliminate things. From the from the inquiry you connect the dots the dot doesn't end up connecting okay you scratch that and you go to the next thing you say okay well and that's real reporting right that's real investigative work that isn't what these these armies of of morons in in the corporate news media do did you know by the way somebody told me the other day that and i tweeted this so forgive me if you heard it from from me already <laughs> but did you know i'm just getting comfortable here that fact checkers work on quotas Think about that. They work to to a number of articles that are expected of them every month. And they don't get they get paid for reaching that quota. They get paid, you know, uh, commensurately with how much they produce per that quota. Um so the next time you see, I mean, the USA Today stuff is the worst of all of this, by the way. USA Today will fact check other fact checks they'll fact check the same thing twice and they'll also fact check just the most i mean talking about matt gates usa today fact checked whether matt gates had a mullet in college or not now i can exclusively reveal to you here ladies and gentlemen that matt gates didn't have a mullet in college not that there's anything wrong with mullets business in the front party in the back no problem with that but the fact checkers, it started, I didn't realize this. Maybe I'm late to this. Maybe you already know this, but I didn't. 
I didn't realize. I mean, how ludicrous would that be, by the way? Even even if it's not just these silly little fact checks. What if I said to Natalie Winters, "Hey, you know, unless you produce fifty, you know, investigative stories every month, you're not getting paid, or you're not getting paid the full amount." That would be ludicrous. You cannot you cannot operate real reporting like that. It's like it's like parking tickets or pulling people over by the side of the road because there's a quota to fill. At the end of the day, you just end up doing it because you have to do it, not because there's any truth in the matter, not because there's any veracity behind what you're doing. And so I only come here and, and speak before you and with you um, when I've got something to say, frankly. And when I don't have anything to say, I'm just not going to jump on here and, and, and start gibbering about my opinions. Sorry, I found some fluff on my leg. <laughs> That's why you hear me moving away from the microphone. Um, now, there's a lot going on out there right now. And, and the reason I started the show today by talking about the Giuliani stuff, I mean, I'm not going to say that I expected it in the sense that, that you know, when, there's, when the news broke this afternoon, I was, I think, only about an hour ahead in, in, in my sourcing of, of, of the news cycle, knowing right, of the New York Times story breaking. But it doesn't surprise me in the sense that there is this whole curiosity about Ukraine, about Hunter Biden, about Burisma, about the billion-dollar aid. Remember the billion-dollar aid where Biden said, you know, you're not getting that, you're not getting that aid unless you fire the prosecutor. Come on, man. Exactly. Something is, it's imperative for Joe Biden to hide. It's imperative. And you know what? I will also say this. I think that something is being used by the Kremlin and by the FSB and by Vladimir Putin as geopolitical fodder. And frankly, it's philosophical fodder too. The battle of civilizations, right? With Joe Biden really representing the liberal woke and Vladimir Putin representing the Putin? <laughs> Putin representing the, you know, traditionalist and authoritarian kind of wing of, of European, Eastern European culture and philosophy. Yes, I think that's going on. So there's a semblance of truth to it when they say, you know, Russia. You and I know there's no semblance of truth when it comes to actually Russia being a threat. But but Putin, Putin's ideology or philosophy is certainly a threat, certainly a threat to liberalism, certainly a threat to Joe Biden's view of the world. And there's something there that Biden desperately needs to never, never, never come out. Something way, I think, way, way, way more interesting and juicy than a quid pro quo over a billion-dollar aid package. I think it goes to the heart of his malfeasance in public office over the entirety of his career. You know, I'm reading or listening to beautiful things, and I, I really don't recommend it. I, I do not waste your time. Even if you can get it for free, I, do, I wouldn't waste your time, money, effort, 
blinks anything. Just don't bother. It's just not worth it. But there's little nuggets that I'm picking up on that kind of validate a few of the avenues of inquiry that we've been making into the hard drive from hell. And there's more that we're going to be reporting out on that as well in the coming weeks. Two more things before I let you go today. Three more things. <laughs> Three more things. Number one, I, I finished listening to... Um, as I say, I was at the gym for the first time in a week today, and I was listening to the Bongino interview with President Trump. And I don't really like these President Trump phone interviews. I don't know about you, but I I, I feel like he's underselling himself at this point. I feel like, and, and Bongino got this right, by the way. He said, please do a big rally. And I think that's what people want to see, right? And, and be a part of, not just kind of listening to the, and I'm not saying same old, same old in a, in a, in a pejorative sense, but it is, the, it is the, the repetition now of the same lines of inquiry. And I get it. We don't want to stop looking into November 3rd. We will never stop looking into November the 3rd. I was at the forefront of that. I will remain at the forefront of that. But I think the president of the United States, Donald Trump, the real president of the United States, Donald Trump, kind of should should rise above that now right let everyone else let the army take care of that we we've got your back he i think needs to be the focal point of the fight back up there on stages macho man you know doing the whole the dance the jig get the happy warrior back Anyway, I listened to it, and, and you know, of all of the interviews he's done like that, Bongino is the best interviewer, I think. He does, he does ask far more interesting questions. He's going to the heart of Pfizer abuses. There are a couple of times during that. If you haven't listened to it, go listen to it. Uh, and tell Dan that I sent you as well, because um, he's, always, he's always hyping the National Pulse on his show, and I'm really grateful for it. I want to do it back. Um, it's not that, uh, it's not that I, um, I ever intend to not hype... Uh, these other people i just i just always forget i'm, I'm just getting so wrapped up in the sound of my own voice <laughs> the, the stories we're talking about by the end by the time so i look at the board and i see oh it says 42 minutes i should probably start rapping soon and then not rapping as in you know <laughs> i'm not gonna rap for you don't worry um so that's one thing. Go and listen to that interview. I, I really think Trump needs to get out of that format, though. I think he needs to go to um, go back to this rally format. Really start, really start commanding the news cycle again, because you know they're going to cover it. You know they have to. Their ratings will spike when they do. I think it would be it would be amazing. He says he may do it on the back of the midterms. I, th- I think too late. Do it now. Let's go. There's all this pent up energy out there. Put it to use. Because otherwise people are getting frustrated. You can probably hear it in my voice I'm getting frustrated. The second thing is that I wanted to mention is I kind of reformed some of the membership tiers on the National Pulse website. So you can go to fundrealnews.com and see the new tiers. We introduced a new one called Superbacker. And it's 2500 bucks, which I know is a lot. I heard, I heard all of you just go, right? I know it's a lot. I know it's not going to be for most people. That's okay. Um, but it's for people who want to come on the podcast and who, you know, who have the uh, the investment to make on something like that. Put it this way. Advertisers and, and PR people and all that will spend tens of thousands of dollars a month hyping things like live read ads and stuff like that on podcasts. Tens of thousands of dollars a month, right? 
So I figured, hey, cut out the middleman. People who want to come on, you know, obviously I'll do a little bit of vetting. But people who want to come on, they can pay 2500 bucks. It's, you know, we're one of the top podcasts in the country. Uh, and you can come on. And it helps us, you know, because we're trying to grow the site. Um, and I'm just grateful for everybody that chips in at Fundry. We had just a massive, massive influx of membership over the last couple of days. Um, so I'll get to reading some of the names out, uh, giving, giving the shout outs to the new members in just a second. So that's the second thing. Now I'm now I'm already forgetting what the third thing is. You see, there's there's so many things that I'm juggling in my brain right now, whether it's the gate stuff, and believe me, I'm as deep dive on that stuff as Arthur and anyone else's. Okay. Um, there's so much of the CCP stories that, that Natalie's breaking. Um I had a third thing, and now it's totally, totally escaping me what that third thing was. You know, there's the Wuhan lab stuff, which every day, I was saying to a friend of mine this morning, every day, it's like the Wuhan lab stuff becomes like that 2 or 3% more credible in the, in the eyes of the corporate media. You see Sanjay Gupta coming out, you see Bill Maher and all these guys. Every day, there's just that little bit more and more and more in terms of credibility behind the theory that we first floated Nearly 18 months ago now. It'll be it'll be 18 months. Uh, let's see. February, March, April, May, June, July. In July. Right? So, let's see. Let's see. And that's something that we just keep, we keep pushing on the facts. The facts, the facts, the facts. And, um, just look. I could spend all day with you here and go through some of these stories we're breaking. Natalie Winter spots very wisely that Biden's chief of staff's wife, who's now nominated for a government job, by the way, despite Biden saying, oh, there won't be, there won't be jobs for family members in my regime. He didn't say regime. Um, she's going to be working for the US government shortly and openly, openly collaborates with Chinese state media. Listen, when... It was the Trump administration. Imagine you had that situation going on, but with Russia today, right? Everybody would have lost their collective minds. They they often did lose their collective minds if somebody had once appeared on Russia today 10 years ago. Oh, and the people that the media are putting on television every day, the quote-unquote scientists debunking the Wuhan lab leak theory are active collaborators with the Wuhan lab. They have worked with and for the Wuhan lab. They have conducted joint operations with the Wuhan lab and they have been honorees, honorees of the Chinese Communist Party. Well, there's just... So so I just want you to understand. I just don't want you to be mad at me because I know a lot of people wait for the podcast and then when there isn't one, you think maybe I'm sitting sitting around with my feet up. I'm not... I'm not. I wish I was. <laughs> like, I, I'm sure a lot of you wish you were as well. No, the truth is, the truth is, the truth is that burnout happens, the mind burns out. Sometimes you need those days to churn through the information and sit down and just get a pen and you map things out. It happens. So let me say thank you to some of our new members to play us out. Martin, Linda, Arthur, Ronald, Marvin, Dennis, Dan, Susan, Carolyn, John, Grace, Linda, with a Y, Elvia, Robert, Lorna, Deborah, 
John Rene Felmer. Oh my goodness, there's a name I'm really going to butcher here, and I'm very sorry about it. Shyla? I've never seen that name before. Timothy, Matt, Byron, Laura, Jennifer, Cheryl, Diane, Karen, Stuart, Emmy, Rhonda, Beth, Donna, Mary, Melody, Robert, Adelaide, Rich, Mel, Tonya, Todd, Jennifer, Kelly, Lon, Don, Paula, Sean. You see, I can keep going. It's amazing. Timothy, Mary again, Diana, Patricia, Diane, Anita, Sally, Jennifer, lots of ladies. Oh, and by the way, there's a very, there's a limited number. If you want to sign up at fundrealnews.com, become one of our backers. We're not backed by billionaires, no corporate money. Use the promo code investigations. It'll get you a discount, get all the cool stuff. And I, I will try to see you again soon. I know we all look forward to this. I'll try my hardest.